and that you would teach Holy Spirit in a way that human beings cannot by themselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Does everyone have a handout? New handout should have a block chart on the front of it. We're going to be getting into it in just a moment. I'd like to introduce you to someone. You may have already met him, but uh, I want to use a, a couple of minutes right now to uh, make sure that you do meet someone. A good friend of mine, John Worcester. John's been here for the conference. Where are you at, John? Oh, he's right here. <laughs> John and I got to know each other uh, in the mid-70s. We were in seminary together. And uh, he and his wife, Diane, were a part of the church plant in Fort Worth. Uh, they helped us get started out there. I've really grown to admire John through the years. I liked him anyway. But uh, over and over and over again throughout the years, uh, John has, number one, stayed on track. Uh, that's a, that in itself is a wonderful thing, just to be able to stay on track. I will never call said, uh, you know, that he'd, he'd fought the good fight, he'd run the race, he'd finished it, he'd finished everything, you know, he's ready to go. I thought, well, you know, everybody ought to do that. You know, what, what's, he, what's he bragging about? I'm 45 now, and I've begun to realize that that really is a precious privilege, to be able to actually end well. It's a precious privilege. John's the guy who stayed on track, and um, he's a fellow uh, with a, a vision I'd like you to hear about briefly. John, would you come on up? Uh, John has two sets of twin boys. He and Diane have what are they, six, seven, and five, or six and four. Seven, seven, come on over here where you can get hold of this, John. Seven and five. And uh, they bounce off the walls. They're fun guys. John has planted, John's planted several churches, uh, one in Atlanta, uh, two in Huntington, Huntington Beach, in Southern California, and is now, for the first time, he's, he likes challenges. He's involved in planting two churches at the same time uh, in Marin County, uh, just north of San Francisco, a part of the Bay Area there. Uh, John, what, why don't you share with the group your vision? What, what is your vision? What would you like to see happen? I, I want them to hear. Okay. Um, essentially, we're, the, the vision is to plant churches in an urban area, uh, churches that would be effective at reaching the unchurched population. And, you know, we've kind of targeted the, the North, North Bay area of San Francisco right now. And as I plant churches, I want to get, I'm arranging a situation so I can be planting and replanting without kind of rooting up my family and moving across the country every couple of years, but planting and replanting churches. And in the process of planting those churches, be training some guys to be church planters on the job. So as I go to plant a church, I'd have two or three interns along with me, watching how it's done, getting a vision for it, seeing what's happening in the thing, and then turning around themselves. If they're prepared in other ways in their lives, they will turn around themselves and go out and more effectively plant uh, the churches. The, um, this last year, John has taught uh, church growth at Golden Gate Seminary, as he's been in the Bay Area. Uh, what's, what's different about your vision, John? Well, uh, there, there are a lot of people who want to plant churches. Is there a special slant to it? <laughs> yeah. The, he was hoping I'd ask that. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
the the basic the the thing that's that's different in uh, part of the things that's different in the plants are well, I guess I already mentioned a little bit as far as the specific target and really working hard at trying to go for the unchurched person and going after conversion growth. And each one of our plants, we get a little better percentages on each one of those on, on what happened and the results of that. And also to do it in established areas. Oftentimes, church plants are on the, the edge where the, where the community is growing the most and those kind of things. And I think we needed some models on church planting in an area that's already established. One thing good about colleges and stuff, most colleges are also in established areas. So it's a model that fits well near where our college campus would be. I think the training aspect, the unique thing about the training, sometimes we have, like, the Southern Baptists have church plan or apprentice program, but it's really not an apprenticeship. It's more just an accountability situation. And this this is a more on-the-job kind of training situation. So there's a, a uniqueness in, in that way. And I think the uniqueness of the situation of being located there in, in the Bay Area is also neat how the Lord has kind of arranged that area being close to where a seminary is, so the guys coming into the situation that are thinking about potentially what they're going to do with their lives and those kind of things, and then the connection of that seminary, particularly being in a place that needs so much church planning, it's so unchurched, and I think that there's an openness for that. The combination of both of those things makes this a kind of a, a unique kind of, of location, at least, for, uh, for doing this kind of thing. Yeah. John's been working with the Home Mission Board over the years on uh, the state convention and California is beginning to put money with him for interns because they've seen the success of what he's been doing. You mentioned about going after the unchurched people. Uh, tell us about some of the some of the converts recently in Bay Marin, there Marin County. Just to give the group some idea of the age group, demographics that you're dealing with. Basically, we're targeting the the baby boom generation. Um, some of the things we've seen in just in the last three or four weeks, we've seen two um, ladies about 35. 30, 35 years old, uh, out of the New Age movement that have become believers. And they just gave their testimony and got baptized a couple weeks ago. And it's really pretty exciting. It's an interesting thing. They found in our churches, they found a place they could come and investigate Christianity without sort of being put on the spot and being threatened right away. And some of them, they, they were both coming around to our church to one degree or another for three to four months before they made their commitments. And they found an atmosphere of acceptance. We call it, they were baking. You know, they were there and being around and learning about Christianity, kind of getting ready uh, for it. And then they made their commitments. And then there's another one. We just started Bay Marin. And a uh, guy's going to be baptized in a couple of weeks, a successful businessman that's come in. That his daughter came east and got saved in a Baptist church and kind of kept telling him about it. thought she was crazy. But he had been Catholic all his life, never had a personal relationship with Christ and things. But he came to the church, has really been really coming on and making you know, making some real solid decisions. He'll be baptized in a couple of weeks. And he's like, fine. He's probably about 40, uh, 49 years old, something like that. So he's sort of the top end of what we're, we're normally reaching. But we're uh, seeing some pretty interesting things. And the, the couple of these ladies are the New Age uh, converts. Uh, one of them had been a spiritual reader. That's what you did for a living. And uh, it's, it's almost, almost and she's come, when she come to Christ, she has really made some radical decisions. She's dropping profession. She's been, you know, one day she'll, she'll burn all of her books, you know, and she'll, the next day, she'll get rid of all the, all the tapes, anything in her house that have to do with that kind of stuff. She's quitting profession. She's moved out with her, from her boyfriend. She's, and, she, and she's really getting hold of it. It's really interesting. Even she, she has always called on a Jesus for her information. But God has worked out in certain ways that showed her that her Jesus was not the right Jesus. And so, and so through actually some spiritual experiences that she had, that, that hers wasn't the right one. And, the, and Satan was kind of getting in there. She realized that she was getting information from the dark side. God was working that out. 
uh, to show her that. And so she called up the gal that I had put in contact with her to be working with her, and, and she called up and says, you got to tell me about your Jesus. I've got the wrong Jesus. And so she went over, and so we've explained to her really very, thorough, very thoroughly about what uh, the real Jesus is and what he did and the whole thing of doctrine. And she has just firmly accepted that. It looks like there's some really going to be some neat changes in her life now. She's already started. Gave a great testimony. One of the best ones I've ever I've heard in a long time. <laughs> this, is, this is one of the things uh, that also over the years has really been encouraging to me about John's ministry. Because they have, they have consistently reached a large group of non-Christians and brought them into the kingdom and the church plants. Uh, adults. And um, I encourage John to make it here for this conference and meet you guys. Um, particularly because some of you may have people in your ministries who are getting ready to graduate that have, have the ability to start things. And uh, they may be interested in investigating what John is doing. Uh, not everyone is a, is a church starter. Not everyone is gifted that way. Uh, what kind of, if someone were interested in being a part of what you're doing, maybe training as a church planner, what kind of things would you be looking for, John? What characteristics? Okay, um, some of the basic characteristics are that, and the reason I come to a conference like this because I like the kind of things that you guys are doing with them, getting them grounded in their personal walks with God and those kind of things, the basic stability in their lives. And also that for people who have some already to come in, like maybe to seminary or coming into the training program after maybe uh, uh, the situation of, uh, of a seminary or something, but they're coming in with some basic ministry skills, basic social skills, ministry skills, have some track record in evangelism and some of those kind of things. Um, and uh, particularly uh, once some of the basics are in a person's life they could come, is that they would be catalytic and they're the type of person that starts things. And you may have in your ministry somebody kind of coming through that just, you know, you know they have some abilities but they're not going to fit in a in a normal situation, they're not going to go take over the thing. They're, they're, they're catalytic, they're starters, they're really initiators. And uh, there's not enough of those around, and we really need to get those in positions, I think, that they can plant and replant and get in the training that they can begin to, to move towards that. So we're really looking for catalytic kind of people rather than the, the people that are uh, particularly organized, even though an organizer would be good to go along with a catalyst in the planting and things and those kind of things. So... People, some people break people in three categories. Some are more catalytic. They, they start things. They like to take chaos and, uh, and draw something out of it, create something. Other people are more organizing-oriented. They'll, they'll take something that's already been created, organize it, grow it. Uh, other people are more operators. If they have to start something, they flop. Uh, if they have to take something and organize it and try to grow it, they have a difficult time. But if they can move into a stable situation, they'll refine it, develop it, develop people in the context of it. And they tend to operate what already exists. So John's talking about people who like to start with nothing and create something uh, out of it. Uh, some of them have to move on because things are just so chaotic even after they create them. Uh, and so organizers tend to fit in after them real well. Uh, quite often, a guy will start a church. He'll be a catalytic type, and people greet the the next man who comes in, who is a real organizer. They greet him as a conquering hero who has delivered him from the mess this other person made. <laughs> but in reality, if the first person hadn't been there, there wouldn't be anything. So, if you have people that have that kind of energy, uh, that desire, usually they have a track record. They've begun clubs. They, they've started different things along the way. Uh, you might chat with John, but I want you to meet him. I really respect his ministry, and uh, God has gifted him in the ability both to start churches and to train people to do that.
So I wanted you to meet him. Thank you, John. If there are people that are, even if they aren't going to be catalysts or whatever, they want to come out to the area, there's a good job market also in San Francisco, and to be a part, if they have those basic things in their lives, they would be very welcome and, you know, helpful to be in the situation, too, to help some of the plants and move on with some of the things, too. And I, one other thing I'd just like to say is if anybody would like further contact about what we're doing and how we're going about it, I'll be here another day, happy to talk with you about it, or if you would like to let me know that you'd like, you know, just to kind of keep in touch or network. I don't, won't be coming to these kind of things too often, but you'd like to keep in touch with what's happening there, because I'd like to see a link between some of the, you know, the BSUs and things and what we're doing, and I think there can be some, some healthy give and take of uh, a situation that we can serve one another some. Okay. Thank you, John. I wanted you to meet him. The, um, there are there are procedures that people can go through in starting churches. There really are. And uh, some of them are more successful than others. And John has had a real ministry through the Home Mission Board. Uh, you'd also be welcome to check out the association in the area where he is, if you uh, want to, about his denominational relationships. Uh, he has them. They like him. Um, let's move on. In the handout you have several pages uh, that just contain some ideas I'd like to share with you. I, I have one sort of theme that ties it all together, and that is the idea of sequencing instruction for people. I'd like to share these with you. You probably already know these things. I, if you don't, I'm glad to share them with you. If you do, I'd like to share, share this way of putting them together Maybe to spark your creativity and your own thought. People do need to encounter instruction. Uh, and overall, uh, you, as you try to build people, try to grow people, you find they, they tend to follow through a certain sequence of learning by need. Uh, someone asked me uh, once about these things that have copyright with my name on it. That is copyright 1990 or 1991 or another date. The reason I put that on there, you're welcome to use these in your ministry. Go right ahead and do that. Uh, but the reason I put them on there is because I created these things, and I don't want to have to buy them from someone else. <laughs> so that's why it's on there. You're welcome to use these in any way you desire. Now, if you want to sell them, send me a cut. <laughs> Let's take a look at uh, this first thing. Sequence in learning by felt need. Um, I'd make that uh, especially felt need. People, whenever they come into the kingdom, have um, a variety of interests. A lot of things they're interested in. There tend to be some things that dominate their interests. Uh, whenever they come into the kingdom, one of the, one of the big questions at the outset is here on the left, how do I walk with Jesus? What do I do? I mean, here's this person, the living God. How do I walk with him? What kind of things should I be doing? Um, that level, a lot of people call follow-up, that level of instruction. Uh, there are different things you can put in that level. Uh, but the instruction ought to be geared toward helping people actually learn how to walk in fellowship with Jesus. Uh, scripture memory is a great thing because it lets you in on the mind of God and it gives you a guidance system for the Holy Spirit to use. It's not simply, Christians, memorize scripture, period. There are, there are reasons behind this. Those things, it, it helps me in my walk with the Lord. Um, assurance of salvation, quiet time. Uh, you may have your own list here. 
as people begin to walk with the Lord Jesus, it's not very long before uh, their interest bumps up to a second area. I call it lordship in practical areas or expanding lordship. As they begin to walk with the Lord, he begins to put his finger on things. Uh, immediately when they come into the kingdom, there may be some things they're aware of that need to change, like uh, their dating relationships or they've been embezzling money and now they, they just know they should stop. Um, but as they go on to walk with the Lord, more and more he keeps putting his fingers on different areas of life that need to be dealt with and their focus tends to shift to a second level. What do I do about these areas in my life that the Lord's pointing out? Um, so, instruction in dating, relating to authority, marriage relationships, attitudes, children, uh, finances, time use, career goals, etc. is appropriate. Uh, and people need to make progress in these areas if their walk with God is really going to be fleshed out in real life. As time goes on and their life begins to be straightened out, uh, a new question develops for them. Now, again, they may still have some work to do and follow up. There may be some of these, some of these areas in uh, practical lordship that are still to be dealt with. But a new question begins to dominate. As their life begins to straighten out, the Lord starts drawing people around them. And uh, they begin to wonder, how do I effectively minister to these people? At day one, they may have lost relatives they'd like to see get saved. But there's a point at which this becomes a major, major concern, how to minister to people. So things like uh, witnessing, uh, polishing their witness, uh, teamwork, doing one-to-one -one, uh, follow-up with people, disciple-making, basic leadership, public speaking, more and more Bible study leading, more and more uh, become a focus. Uh, as you begin to minister to people, they keep asking you questions. Now, it comes a day whenever the focus shifts with people, and the, the big question becomes something like this. People are asking me questions I never thought of before. What on earth is the truth in this area? Quite often it starts off with the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Uh, sometimes it comes up with the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Uh, there may be another area. But anyway, they've had questions themselves from early on, and they would be interested in these things. If a speaker came and spoke on one of these topics, they might attend and get some insight. But... This becomes now a burning issue for this person. And so the focus shifts to doctrine and philosophy. Uh, as a person begins to deal with uh, systematic theology, some of, the, some of the issues of philosophy related to Christianity, um, they, they begin to wonder about what they've learned about the ministry. And so the question becomes more, in light of the truth I've learned, is my approach to ministry correct? What is the right approach to ministry? For instance, uh, if you've been around discipleship a uh, while, you may have run into the concept that, uh, that everyone ought to be a disciple maker. Uh, you, then you hit the doctrine of the body of Christ, and it talks about gifting of people being different. And that raises the question, well, what about this? Where, where, where does this come down? How, how does it fit? And so people start working on strategics, ministry strategies, the principles behind it. Uh, things like the history of the expansion of Christianity, management skills, theory of change, church growth, theology of leadership, theology of education. Now, these things start becoming important to people. Um, you have some people in your ministry, probably, for whom this is all they want to study, or this is all they want to study. Um, but they really need to deal with these areas right, right through here. I've 
help them out with some of these things and then try to get them moving up this direction. We deal with a lot of seminary students, and one of the problems we deal with in our ministry with seminarians is that many of them come to seminary with a very little experience below here. And they enter seminary at a doctrine and philosophy level. They spend uh, several years there, and um, they actually do not have the time to spend doing Bible study to get their doctrine and their philosophy firmly rooted. They read books about the doctrine, or they read books about the Bible. They don't have time to read the Bible. You know, I went through it. It was very hard to read the Bible and do your Bible study because there were eight books you had to read. Uh, so you tend to develop some tentative convictions or tentative conclusions about uh, doctrine, and you think those are pretty well right. Uh, and then you start looking at different ministry approaches, and you become a ministry skeptic. You know enough doctrine and philosophy to punch holes in anyone's boat, but you don't have enough practical experience of the Lord Jesus and ministry of people to pick and choose the lumber to build a boat. And so you become a ministry skeptic. You can raise questions about anyone's approach. Uh, in order to build healthy people, people need an experience of walking with the Lord. It's as your will becomes to do his will, Jesus says in John 7, 17, that you know the doctrine, whether it's from God or from man. As you actually begin to deal with his will in these areas, then your, your spiritual perception begins to clear up. As you have some experience in ministering with people, you can read books about the ministry and decide whether the guy is half-baked or not. But if you don't have experience, you really don't know. Because... There's just not enough experience there. So this is, a, this is a general flow. As people come into the kingdom again, you'll find they have interest in every one of these areas. But they tend to be dominated by a particular need. And I would try to, to see that they get instruction generally over a time period uh, in dealing with these areas. Um, I'm going to move on and um, talk particularly about this area. And then you can raise questions if you want to in a moment. Uh, on your next page, you have a chart that looks like this. If I could get it unstuck. There we go. chart that looks like this. Um, I spent several years in Proverbs. There came a point in my own life where my heart was drawn there, and I'd read books for years and years and years. And I, it just seemed like the Lord said, you need to work now in the Scriptures for an extended time, synthesizing some of the stuff you've come into, and see if it squares up with the Bible. And I, I spent a lot of time in Proverbs. I've spent several years in the New Testament. And um, out of Proverbs, one of the things I wanted to come up with was, what, what does the Bible say about success? You know, you have people on TV talking about it all the time. You know, send me money and God will bless you. Um, simply have faith. Uh, take a vow. Um, and there, there are different formulas that come up uh, on success. I'm dealing with adults in their careers. And so this is a, you know, a live topic. Uh, there's a, from the study I did, there's a general flow in the Bible on uh, how success occurs. And... Uh, it appears to me to be this, and I would encourage you to check this out. This is for some Bible study for you in the future. There's a basic framework that people need to understand about success. 
if you're reading the Wall Street version of it and trying to find it in the Bible, now the Bible says more things about success than simply finances, though finances are there. Uh, attitudes are a major part of success. And they impact the way a person relates to authority. Authority is a gigantic area, and uh, relating to authority is a gigantic area in the scriptures for a person's ability to succeed in life. Now, if a person doesn't deal with this, they have a very, very hard time in life. Uh, scriptures, the Proverbs talk a great deal about it, as well as the New Testament. Uh, but authority impacts the way you approach relationships, how you handle them. And attitudes impact relationships. Uh, how you treat people has a dramatic impact on your success in life. And um, there are curses for things that are done to people. Um, the, well, like Proverbs 11.25, in one translation, a liberal man will be enriched, and he who waters will himself be watered. If you, if you have money and you, and you bless people with it, if you are generous, then you'll find generosity coming back to you. If there's, there are other verses that promise that if you are stingy, you're going to have problems. That's in the Bible, how you, how you relate to people. Um, relationships impact both the way you use your mouth, the way you handle your work, and the way you seek guidance. If you don't handle relationships rightly, there are people you don't talk to when you look for guidance. Um, guidance impacts your words and your work again, how you, how you look for guidance. Like everyone deals with the need to set direction and to find their way as they face decisions. Everyone has a routine for it. Scripture says some definite things about it, and students need to learn what it says. They're going to be making decisions the rest of their life. Uh, words and work, there are work patterns associated with success, and there are others that are guaranteed for trouble. Uh, the same with words. There's one, one of the Proverbs says that a man is rewarded by the fruit of his mouth as surely as the, as the work of his hands rewards him. Your mouth is about half of your success. You can be a hard worker and a toxic person and have a great deal of trouble in life. But we don't normally think about a person's mouth and success unless it fails. You know, if it fails, then that, that counts. But actually, the way people handle their mouths on their jobs dramatically impacts what they're able to do. And the way they handle their mouths in their home dramatically impacts the success they have as a family. Uh, these things feed into finances. There's more said about finances and work and guidance and words. But they do impact finances. And then response to calamity. Ecclesiastes says time and trouble come to all men. Every one of us has those situations where, boom, all of a sudden there's trouble. And it's possible in the way you respond to calamity to really hurt yourself. There's some things the scripture says about how to handle that sudden outburst of trouble. These things feed toward a promise in Proverbs 22 4. Uh, it says that with humility and, and fear of the Lord, go a long life, honor, and wealth. And uh, I don't know how much money wealth is. It's more than enough, anyway. You know, you never have enough, but some people in the world would think you're wealthy right now. Uh, honor and a long life. There are, again, these things are to be understood in the framework of Scripture. Now, you know, the, the best one who ever lived died at 33. So you understand there are some greater purposes in life. There is an eternal framework that we look at success in. It's not simply 80 or 90 years on this planet. There are some bigger issues. So you need to understand the framework.
but there, there is some definite, there are some definite things in Scripture about the cross. Each one of these areas that are on the page right here have been pretty well, and this is my opinion, this is not the Holy Spirit, this is hell. In my opinion, the movies have just destroyed people's understanding of each one of these areas. Uh, all the movies and music over the last 20 years, more and more, the younger group is responding to the movies for their instruction. They take the cues from the movies and the music. And each one of these areas has really been messed up. Uh, students need instruction in the area. Uh, you need it, right? Yeah, you do. I do. Uh, I'm trying to learn. So I w- what I want to do is just outline this for you, offer it to you. You try it on, see if it fits the scriptures, and uh, work with it over time. Uh, these, these may provide, may do some, some studies for you. I've outlined on the next couple of pages um, some things on success, areas for your study, and Proverbs, New Testament, other scriptures. You might collect some things in these areas. The role of God in success, some of the things scripture says, I haven't given verses, uh, verse references, uh, because I wanted to leave you some room for Bible study. And you might read two Proverbs and see you find verses that go with these. Jerry, uh, Jerry's been a good friend for a lot of years. He's a businessman in Fort Worth, a professional speaker, management consultant. And uh, he graciously drove me up here today. And we're going to keep each other awake going back uh, tonight. I enjoyed being with you. We'll be around for a few minutes. Mike? Okay, uh, your schedule. Uh, as I know that we're going to take a break now, what we're going to do instead, however, because of our time frame, Carolyn, where are you? Carolyn, come here. I think all of you know Carolyn Teague by now. If you don't, uh, you've been out of touch for a while. <laughs> but uh, Carolyn has put together a, um, a game on evangelism that, uh, that really is, uh, you know, talked about uh, teaching by values rather than cognitive and this is really a neat way that uh, we found to work with students to really help them. And so what we're going to do is let her introduce that uh, to us at this point and tell us about it. And then uh, we'll take a break afterwards if you want to be involved. And I don't know if you're planning on, you going to let us play or you're just going to tell you what it is. So that was about as Harold. I mean, Harold can't find his guys and I can't find her either. <laughs> oh, I love it. <laughs> well, you're where you're supposed to be. That's better. All right, ready? <laughs> Are we going to play or we just want to tell what it is? We're going to play. All right. So she's going to tell us what it is and play for a while. And then afterwards, they'll leave the uh, fruit, fruit bowl and the refreshments out front. So, Carolyn? Okay. Mm, take it over. Thank you, Larry. <laughs> um, many of you may have seen this game. Um, 
Um, I don't know if you saw this when it was introduced in, um, at Gloria last year. Some people saw me carry it out. They said, what is that, Carolyn? You're a master of to the 20th power. <laughs> <laughs> if this is called the good news in game, and um, you know how Isaiah 52, 7 says, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And um, one thing about our students, it appears to me that that is true here, and it has been true as I've traveled around. And this year, I've only spoken to about 3,000 students. So of those, I think this is still true, that students basically do not aggressively show their faith. And I think one of the reasons is they are afraid and if they could get in a context where they could talk to each other about some aspects of sharing their faith and learn some things about what other students are thinking, and this game is very much like the end game. Actually, the goal of this game is not to win, even though we do have a finish line. And for those of you who love to win, we're going to put a bonus. Um, and what we need to do is get six people to a team a table. We only need 10 tables. Six to a table. So could you do that quickly? Put yourself in sixes. Yes, could you help pass this out, Mark? <coughs> Normally, when you would get one of these games, I'll wait. Thank you, Jim. Let's see, Mark. There's one in. Okay, if you will open them. If you'll open the tube, you'll notice. Hello? I have my last control again. If you open the tube, you'll notice that you um, you have questions that are cut up. If you will fold that um, the game board out, and uh, one thing I've found out about the game is it, we need a little stiffer game board. But if you could just put your Bibles all over it or something um, to to hold it down, there is a sheet of instructions. And if you read those instructions, I think it'll be very self-explanatory. Okay, um, if you could take about two minutes to get organized, they are put the questions on the symbols on the board. You should see a picture on the front.
Okay, you notice from the directions that you are to get your own individual palm. Uh, use something personal, maybe your ring, a small ring. You guys that have been to the Super Bowl, don't use that ring. A ring, a coin, um, Okay. Can I have your attention a moment? Um, I would talk, but I'd be so rude I'd be talking while some of you are talking. <laughs> okay, you'll notice the wooden cube has the symbols on it um, that are around the board and also the symbols that are on the questions. Because many of you in here really like to win, we're just going to put a bonus on the bridge symbol. And actually, I asked the artist that put this together to give us a symbol of how to bridge from the dark to uh, the light, from the secular to the sacred. Didn't you do a good job symbolizing that? You see the, the bridge? Okay, anyone who lands on the bridge, you go five extra spaces before you answer your question. Okay, do all of you have your pawns down? Okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to play the game for about 12 minutes, and then we're going to get feedback from the game. Um, I had talked with an academic dean uh, of a Baptist college who said we would like to take your game as a marketing problem and see who it should be marketed to and how we could do it, and we maybe could give him some good ideas to start with. So, and if this will help you, um, I'm selling these games out of the back of my car. No. <laughs> if it would help you in your ministry, I would like you to have a game. Okay, um, so why don't you, as a group, play the game. Um, somebody will need to read the instructions to you. And then we will call time and, and recognize our winning table.